Well, we uh, finished up the book of James last week, and uh, we have uh, been in staff. We've just been kind of talking and working through just some thoughts of, uh, of who we are and why we do what we do. And uh, there's this uh, set of books and just uh, uh, material that was put out by a guy named Simon Sinek several years ago uh, that uh, really questions people, particularly biz- businesses, uh, of um, what's your why? What's your why? Uh, you know, if somebody does something, that's their what, but uh, it really boils down to what's the why? Why, why do you do what you do? And uh, that's a big question. It's not always easy to ascertain, and particularly in our faith life. And so I thought maybe we'd just spend some, uh, some weeks kind of talking about our why as believers in, in different areas. And so this morning, I want to kind of take a global view of it, kind of set it up, and then we'll, we'll walk through some personal um, pursuits of, of our why uh, as, um, as we get going through this. Uh, I really do want to encourage you, uh, July 22nd, uh, and you don't have to wait to July 22nd for God to do what God does, uh, but uh, we are inviting people from up the hill, down the hill, in the valley, east, west, north, south. We, we want this to be a night where people come and they experience a, a deeper uh, sense of, of God and God's presence, not so they can have a one-night experience, so they will long for that to continue and never be settled for anything less. And so July 22nd, I hope you've got that on your calendar. Invite uh, whoever you would like to invite. Uh, it will uh, be a, a pretty amazing, amazing night. Um, and that's our, that's our heart as a church. Um, I went back to some things that we wrote uh, as we were getting ready to begin uh, Gold Country Church. And God had spoken and, and said, hey, uh, I want a relationally driven church. And so, um, you know, when you are starting something and you're starting it with a blank page, uh, to determine what are going to be the foundations uh, is pretty key and pretty important. And, you know, obviously our main foundation is Jesus, and our second foundation is Jesus, and our third foundation is Jesus, and we just want to keep pursuing what God wants to do. But uh, these are some words that um, that I wrote, uh, I guess, about January of 2011, two months before we officially launched. We had done some preview services, and uh, it says, GCC seeks to be a relationally driven church. Our heart is to follow the will of God and connect people in authentic relationships. We believe by living sacrificially, now the we was about 16 people, uh, 14 of them which he quit church. Uh, so uh, th- that was kind of a, a, a big, a big bold statement for 14 people that had decided they had disconnected from church. Now they hadn't disconnected from God, but they had been hurt and they had watched the chaos and so they wanted something differently. But we believe by living sacrificially as we love and serve others, as we love and serve others, God's power is displayed and others are welcomed into a faith family that doesn't focus on externals. Now, those are highfalutin words that have to be backed up with life and action. GCC is committed to honoring God's word and loving God's people. Our heart is in seeking to exhibit the glory of God in our lives. We make no claim of perfection or superiority. We simply believe that God is at work in our lives, empowered and transformed by the Holy Spirit. We seek to love others as Christ has loved us. Now, I think that could be any believer's declaration of who God's called us to be. 
So, but then that's the what. So the question then becomes why? Why is that? Why is that our desire? Well, um, because ultimately, by loving people with the love of God, we welcome each other into real, authentic relationships. Our relationships are centered on Christ. They move out into the community to shape health and connections. Uh, I, I can pretty vividly remember one of the first services that we we actually did, and um, we we talked about how by being intentional and going out in the community, you know, most churches say, hey, come. But Jesus said, go. Most churches tell people, hey, come and gather with us. But Jesus told the early disciples to go. And so before people gather, somebody's got to go. And you got to go with a purpose. You got to go with a purpose that we're going to love you, love others in an extraordinary way, because that's what Jesus did. Jesus met people on the street. Jesus didn't pitch a tent and invite people to come to his gathering. His gathering was wherever he moved out into the community. Now, today we gather, and there are a lot of great purposes for gathering. So I'm not bemoaning the gathering, but I'm saying there's got to be a going. That's got to be our why of that is to love people so people can know that God loves them. One of the things that people are most afraid of that have no concept of Christianity is what the crazy people do in a room like this. And until we go and we extraordinarily love them and meet them where they are, they're probably never going to give this a chance. And so our heart was is that we were going to be focused on loving people so we could help shape health and connections in the community. Uh, I I remember uh, the the Sunday I, I I made this next statement that uh, I got a lot of questions what that meant. I said, GCC isn't focused on butts and budgets. Most churches count success by how many butts are sitting in the sanctuary and the budget that you can work yourself towards. Now, <clears throat> having come from a large church that, you know, you, you, you get ingrained in that mindset. And so when I wrote that, I thought, that's kind of scary. Um, because, you know, when you walk away from your salary your budget, and you are dependent on reaching butts, then, you know, there's a little bit of hesitation in all that. But yet the reality is, is that God is the one that will determine all of that. And people give as they see something happening and moving that they trust because the relationships are formed outwardly in the community before you ask people to come and start doing this. And churches have kind of gotten the cart before the horse, and, and they all it, it becomes about numbers, both physical numbers of people and numbers of what's put in the, the collection plate. And, and, I mean, you know, there are people that have, for seven years now, have said, you need to take up an offering. I said, well, we do. They said, no, you don't, you, don't, you don't do it like we're supposed to do it. I'm like, how are we supposed to do it? Well, you're supposed to get up and teach on it every week, so they'll give. No, that's the reason people don't want to give because you are compelling them. Your why of what you're doing is so that you can get finances. That's not the reason to go love people. That's not the reason to go out in the community and serve people. The reason is, is because everybody needs a relationship with Jesus. That's the reason you do what you do. That's the reason you go. And then people will gather because they see a purpose bigger than themselves. 
look at Romans 12 with me and let's kind of start this journey of discovering some of our whys. This is out of the New Living. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world or this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know and what God's will is for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Um, I love this, this quote by Simon Sinek. He, he says, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. What you do, how you live, how you respond to people, what you make the impetus of your life is what sells to people who you really, really are. Now, those are some big, tough words. But it's saying the same thing that Paul would say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ. He's, he is my motivation. He is the, the why behind what I do. There are ultimately only two ways to influence human behavior. You can manipulate it, or you can inspire it. There are ultimately only two ways to influence human behavior. You can manipulate it, but when people find out that they have been manipulated, guess what they're going to do? They're going to run, and they should. But if you inspire people by living what you say you believe, then they catch a bigger image of what life can be about. And there are possibilities that open up because it's not about puppet strings and smoke and mirrors. It's about living authentically and letting God be God. It's not about going to church. People want to see and to know why we're even a part of a faith family in a faith community. They, they don't need more places to go. They need a place to belong. They need a place to be cared for. They need a place to be inspired. They need a place to be challenged to live their best story, to be loved, and to be invited into a story that is bigger than their own story and become a storyteller of the story that changes everything as they then go. Very few people, very few companies can clearly articulate why they do what they do. By why, I'm talking about the purpose, the cause, or the belief of the action that they put their life to. I mean, if you're a business owner, why does your company exist? There is a bottom line that you have, and that then becomes your why. Why do we do what we do in our families? Why do we do what we do in our marriage? We have a why to all that. There is a way to define the way that we live. The bigger question is, is why do you get out of bed every morning? Outside of you probably get pulled out of bed by somebody 
And does anybody even care if you get out of bed in the morning? And so this pursuit of why is, is huge. Um, we ultimately don't need someone to tell us how to live. We need someone to show us how to love and to be loved for others. That's what we need. That's what Jesus came to do. We love, we love because he loved us what? First, he showed us how to love. Now, I think we we got a semi-good handle on what it means to go and to live. Or at least some do. Some merely survive. Some hold on with their fingernails trying to just survive another moment or another day. But those who are fully engaged in living and loving, they experience life from a different perspective. They're not knocked off their feet every time the wave hits. It's not that they're not knocked off their feet. It's just they're not knocked off their feet every time because they've learned that there's an ebb and a flow to life, and and it's painful because experiences hurt us, experiences devastate us, experiences cause us to question how we've experienced things. And so we need someone to to teach us how to love and to be loved for others. Leading is not the same as being the leader. Being the leader could mean that you hold a higher rank in the company. Either you've earned it, you were born into it, good fortune hit, or you learned to navigate the internal politics of a situation and you were named the leader. Leading, however, means that others willingly follow you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but but many of you work for people and work under people that though they are your leader by position, they are not your leader by relationship. Churches have had a bad habit of defining a position that you ought to esteem above any others. They call it pastor. But pastors should never be a relational, I mean, should never be a positional power. It ought to only have relational power as it's tried and tested. Now, I realize I'm just critiquing and criticizing my my calling. But I have worked under those that it was all about them. And it was all about their way. And I've probably not been a very good, quote-unquote, employee. I I get that because I will question, I will question why things are going the way they're going. And that doesn't make you a good, that doesn't necessarily make you a bad, I think it makes you a wise person to try to find where's the spirit in this? Where's the work of God in this? I, I, I do that with myself. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about um, uh, a day that I had been really frustrated with a, a guy that kept calling me, thinking I was someone else, and he would not stop. And and Damien and, and Jennifer kind of got the worst of that, which wasn't like a highlight Hallmark day that we're going to put on a Christmas card. Um, but, you know, to be honest about it and say, you know what, I blew it because I let external factors influence how I was, quote unquote, leading. It's hard to follow a porcupine, which is why Jesus was a shepherd. 
that he laid his life down for the sheep, that he met people where they were, that he was hardest on those who wanted to make it about themselves, and he was gentle with those who were broken by what life had, had dealt them. And so this passage in Romans 12 is really ultimately trying to help us see and find God's will for our life. And I just want to walk through a few little things that, that I pick up out of this passage, and then we'll next week we'll get more intimate and more involved in each of the steps. The first one, he says, is uh, I plead with you to, to give your bodies because of all God has done for you. If you uh, read out of the NIV, it says in view of God's mercy or in view of God's love. And, and I think the first thing we have to do is we have to take a view of God's love. We have to take a view of God's love. Now, for if you've been around church, you've been around Christ for a while, that, that's not as hard, you know, except for the people in here that have not been around, and they don't know all that, and they're trying to figure out because life doesn't always make sense, and life doesn't always go the way we think it ought to go, and life doesn't always add up the way we think it ought to add up. And if you don't have a season or two or more of walking with God and knowing that things aren't always going to go the way you think, it's hard to embrace that God is love. It's the same as people who say, man, when you say God is father, I, I just cringe because, man, my father was a tyrant. And to think about God being that kind of, I'm out. And, and there are people that that's the way they would raise their hand and go, that's, that's my struggle right there. I mean, I see it. Whenever we mention God as Father, you can look at certain people and they just go, and you, you see them trying to catch their breath. But our view, our view is of who God is and what God has done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Now, most of us have grown up in this kind of performance mentality. We if you perform and you do the performance right according to what other people say is right, then they give you love. And love can mean whatever they want it to mean. But see, that's the problem, is that we think there's something we have to do for God to love us. When Scripture teaches us that God has already loved us. He's loved us since before we were ever even thought of. Scripture says that Jesus Christ was a lamb slain before the creation of the world. In other words, it was always God's intent, knowing that we would blow it, that he was going to do whatever it took to redeem us. That's love. That's love that's not performed and earned. That's love that is freely given. And that changes the way we see things when we know that there's nothing we can do to earn his love, but there's also nothing we can do to lose his love. And that is a game changer for us if we can figure out how to receive that. Now, there's this uh, psychological term that we use about people uh, in early infancy that if they have a secure attachment, it's like when they're a baby and the, the mom and dad, they, they feed and water it and they change it, you know, clean it up, then that child is going to grow but if that child is not nurtured in love, it does not have secure attachment. It has arrested development. And there are parts of the brain that if they put uh, an MRI machine to it and they watch it, there are little black holes all in the brain because the wiring that was supposed to be developed with attachment did not happen. Nothing the child chose, it comes because it wasn't secured in attachment. And attachment is a big human term for us. 
It's how we feel safe. It's how we feel loved. It's how we feel nurtured. It's how we grow into a healthy version of ourselves. And that's why this is so important for us to take a view, first of all, of God's love. Because God didn't send a DVD and say, hey, watch this and it'll teach you how to be saved. God said, I'm coming down. I'm walking among you. I'm experiencing what you're experiencing. I'm taking on what you couldn't take on. I'm going to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. All the while, I'm going to give you love, not just show you love, which he did both, by the way. So there is this lack of forming if we don't have this secure attachment. And so Paul says, look, you've got to take a view of his love. You've got to see how he has helped us grow and mature and attach. We're going to find God's will. The second thing he says is, is that we've got to give our body to God. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Now, <clears throat> coming out of a, a culture that offered sacrifices, they, they would sacrifice an animal as a way to, quote, unquote, please God, you know, Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrifices. And, you know, normally you don't hear anything from the sacrifice because it's slaughtered and put on the altar and it's kind of done for. And yet Paul's saying, hey, you're going to be a living sacrifice. You're willingly going to surrender. And that's the big word there, surrender, which we don't like. We don't like. And he's saying, you're going to lay yourself on the altar. The problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps trying to climb off the altar. Because it doesn't want to be the sacrifice. It wants to be the leader. It wants to be in charge. It wants a position where we're recognized for how good we are, or mostly good we are. And he says, no, 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 no. You, you, you give yourself to God. Now, we had an initial giving ourselves to God. We, we had a moment, some of us, and we thought, man, I am, I am hopeless. I can't do this. And, and we said, God, you know what? There's not much here, but if you'll have it, you can have it. And, and I'll do whatever you call me to do. I'll, I want you to be my Lord and our Savior, my Savior. And so there was that giving. And for some, that was like the only giving that's ever happened. Because we have what's called arrested development because we never matured and moved beyond that initial stepping in. You say, well, am I not where I need to be because I, because I gave my life to Christ? Well, your salvation is secure. The problem is, is that we have to learn how to love and be loved for others, which speaks of a maturing process a maturing, a growing, a moving deeper into God. So kind of the, the third big thought of this, and maybe I, this will clarify this, is that, you know, you, you say, okay, I've given myself to God. Now I'm ready to say yes to everything. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. So after we surrender, the thing we need to learn first is, is to say no. We need to learn to say no to the wrong stuff. Um, if you've had a toddler, you have a baby, an infant, and it gets to the toddler, we call it the what? The terrible twos. What word do they learn after they learn to say yes, mommy? No. Hey, come here. No. You need to go eat. No. You want to take a bath? No. Do you want to come sit in my lap? No. And they learn no. And I have heard, and you have heard people say, I'm going to have to break this wheel and the spirit of that kid before it gets out of control. And that is the absolute worst thing that you could ever do 
is to break the will. Because see, that idea of secure attachment comes because of abiding love. And then they learn no, and we don't know what to do when they learn no, because we've waited for the day that we're parents and adults and we can tell them what to do and get them to behave. But learning to say no helps us find God's will. Stay with me. There are patterns we pick up on in our development where we learn certain words and what they mean. If you break the will and the spirit of a child in the no years, you break them forever being able to say no to things that are going to harm them. Because the word will means desire. All through Scripture, when you see the, the, the word will, it's, it's the word desire. And, and they're learning to desire things, and they've got to have a help. Discipline, yes. Discipline, yes. It's what God does with us. Discipline, but not breaking. And the word discipline means to instruct or to train. Because we have to learn to say no to the pressures of life. And if we break the will, then there's a false sense of understanding of what it means to say yes and no. And then he he puts out a really big word. He says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I think we would all agree that we have some faulty ways of thinking. We, we have some ways of thinking. He said, if you read the NIV, it says that, that he, he's going to renew our mind. God doesn't say, hey, uh, I want you to be mostly dead on the altar and just let you, you know, we'll, we'll do some amendments and adjustments and then you come back. He, he calls us to crucify. Why? Because there are some things in us that do need to die. And then he says, I'm, I need to renew your mind. We're, we're literally out of our mind is what he's teaching us when we're living for self, when we're not living for God, when we're not following the way of God. He says we're literally out of our mind. The transformation of our mind, the way we think, how we judge things, how we discern things. Um, you know, people fall in love all the time. People fall in love all the time. It's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. Unless it's for faulty reasons. So let's just say we're going to pick on a female this morning. Let's just say we've got this, this young lady that, let's say her dad was an alcoholic. And he comes in and everything is fearful and scary for that young lady. And let's say if she's a young adult she goes to a party and she walks in and she, she starts talking to people. And let's just say that there are 20, 30, 40, 50 people there. And, and among the guys, there are some really, really good, good guys. And she has conversation with them. But her heart doesn't start beating fast with the good guys, does it? You know, the guy that walks in that she doesn't know yet, nor his probation officer, that's when her heart starts racing, and she's in love. Oh, I'm in love. 
And if there's some mechanism that is not matured within her, and it's not that maybe she doesn't need to be with him, but she doesn't need to be with him now until what his thinking is transformed and her thinking is transformed because something in here recognizes that person as someone she knows, even though she doesn't know them, and it's comfortable, even though it's an uncomfortable comfortable, and she is going to speed the process up, and people are going to be waving their hands and the red flags going, don't do it, and there she is. You tracking with me? Some of you are going, oh, that was me. Don't look at your spouse right now. Don't look at your spouse. And it's not that they're bad people. It's not that that, uh, I mean, Jennifer, I mean, she, she determined she could rescue me and then she could change me. Problem is, is that we can't change other people. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the love of God can do that. Only, only. That's why it's so important for us to learn at a place to learn to say no to the patterns of thinking that we have developed that are unhealthy. Because why? Because we want health. And so your why isn't to judge that person as horrible. It's to say, this is not the best version of me right now. And that's not the best version of them right now. But with God's power at work, can they be? Absolutely they can. This place is filled with those people. You know, I told you a couple weeks ago, I don't know what to do with people who have it all together. I don't know how to minister to people like that. I'm pretty good with broken people. Because I, I know that life. Listen, this is what Paul says in verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. You know, kind of the last one we'll talk about this morning is, is you know what, we need to get small. We need to view God's love. We, we need to surrender. We, we need to learn to say no. We need to let our minds be transformed and renewed. And, but we also need to get small. You, we, we have to go back to growing and developing and maturing you can't start at the end. Now, you can begin, as Stephen Covey says, with the end in mind of who you want to be and where you want to be and where you want to see yourself. You can, you can paint that picture, but you've got to go through the process of maturing and growing. Christians aren't matured in an instant. They're saved in an instant. But their maturity, their sanctification comes over growth in time and good decisions and bad decisions. That's just kind of the way it works. We can have a big vision of who we want to be, but we got to start small. Growing and maturing and allowing God to work in us. And so what's your why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you think the way you think? Why do you find yourself in the situations that you find yourself? I mean, we know the what, but what's your why? I think it's a profound question. And, and I don't know that maybe you have a revelation this morning and God's going to go, boom. And you, maybe you already know it, but you're not sure how to move 
deeper into God and let him change your why. Maybe you are stuck. Maybe you are exploring God. You're trying to figure this whole thing out. Life's not adding up. Life's not going the way you hoped it would and the thought it would. And, and you're trying to, but now you, you're afraid because, man, what if I step in and, and he rejects me? Listen, here's the one guarantee I can make you is that God will never reject you. The world will reject you. The world will help break you. God wants to transform you. And you say, well, that, that's a pretty boastful claim there. I'm pretty confident of it. I don't believe he would have died on the cross for any other reason. I don't believe that God would be at work in our lives for any other reason but to see the best version of ourselves. because his command to us is to go. But long before we go, we have to know why we're going. And it's definitely not to earn his favor or his love. We're going because of his love and his favor. And you, like me, meet people all the time that are spinning out of control and their lives are, and it's not that their life is suddenly going to go zoop. It's all lined up now. But as God works and as we love well, they begin to see a bigger purpose than the one where it all has to line up the way we think it's going to line up. Anybody's life all lined up and going just perfect? Oh, me too. And so, this pursuit of the why, and like I said, we just take a kind of a big global look. Starts with our view of God's love for us. There's a surrender. But by the way, Jesus tells us that we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. So surrender is one of those repetitive things that has to keep happening. Not so God will love us, but so that we keep learning what to say no to. Because there are some choices that we make that are absolute destruction. Destruction. It's like when you tell your kid not to do something, and they look at you and they go, hmm, and then they do it anyway. And then the screaming. And then the pain. And you want so badly to go, I told you not to do that. And they're just screaming. But something breaks in your heart for the hurt in your child. And what do you do? You reach down. That's what God does. God has never, ever looked at you and said, I told you not to do that. Oh, you got what you deserve, huh? That's a human response in a broken system. God's answer is, come here. I'm here. Let's walk through that again. Would you trust me that I know what's best? Let's pray this morning. Father, our prayer this morning is, is that we can be, begin to discover the why of what we do. Lord, you have never called us to perfection. You have never called us to get it right every time. But you have called us to look and to see how much you love us. And let our minds be transformed as we surrender and we learn a healthier way of no. And Father, may our hearts lead us in humility to start small, but to have a big vision of what you can do. 
And so, Lord, would you speak your hope and your word into us, Lord? God, would you draw us deeper into you? Lord, as we're about to take communion, Lord, would we see the body, the cracker, and the blood, the cup, Lord, as a reminder that even though we were sinners, you died for us to make us whole. And so, Lord, guide us today as we draw into you, Lord, to discover our why, Lord, of of why we do what we do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, There's going to be a video that's going to play. There are communion in uh, four different places. um, And just, you know, find the, 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 the places where I do a little drive through, you know, get the crack, get the juice. You want to pray with people, go along the back walls or wherever it's the front side, go back to your seat, whatever you want. And then the, the band will come back up and, and lead us uh, in worship. Uh, last thing, there, there's this little word that appears in the book of James that is pretty profound. Uh, it's this word called sozo. Uh, it means wholeness. And sometimes we... We seek after wellness. We want things to be well with us. In other words, God, fix what I need you to fix right now. And yet, God isn't about fixing one part of us. God wants us to be whole. Mind, body, and spirit. Sozo, big word, big word. And I think sometimes we get so focused on a single part And we become consumed with it that we lose sight of the big picture that our body isn't just one thing. It's a collection of parts that God wants to make whole. And well is good. The problem with being well is that unless the whole of us is well, we're not fully well. And when mind, body, and spirit are lined up and you find that wholeness, everything changes. And I mean everything changes. So let's pursue the wholeness of God as we find our why. Let me dismiss you to communion now.